Our topic for tonight, the unpardonable sin. I invite you to open your Bible as we begin to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verses 30 to 32. Probably the most sad spectacle in the world is to meet someone, to see someone who's committed the unpardonable sin. There is a sin that cannot be, will not be forgiven. Jesus outlines it here in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, we'll begin reading in verse 30 to get the setting. Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus says, He that is not with me is what? Is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. What Jesus does here, he takes away all neutral ground. We are either wholly surrendered to him in every area of our lives, or we are? We're against him. Half-hearted Christians are actually against the Lord. And apparently this aspect of not being fully surrendered to Jesus in every area of our lives has something to do with the unpardonable sin because it connect, Christ connects it to the unpardonable sin. Notice the next verse. Verses 31 and 2 says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Evidently, there is a line somewhere in our experience where if we cross over that line, we've gone too far. We've passed the boundary of God's mercy, and we've entered God's judgment, God's punishment. This unpardonable sin... Now, by the way, this is not some arbitrary thing where God says, all right, I've put up with you long enough, I've had it. The unpardonable sin is something that we do where we place ourselves beyond the reach of God's mercy, God's forgiveness. We'll see that in our study this evening. I have met people that thought perhaps they had committed this awful sin, which cannot be forgiven. And maybe you've wondered at times in your life whether you had committed the unpardonable sin. Well, I'm going to assure you tonight, you will know before we finish our study whether or not you have committed this sin which cannot be forgiven. But let's first pause and consider the character of the God we serve. Is God trying to keep people out of heaven? Or is God working to bring people into heaven? God wants to save people. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 that it is God's will that all be saved. Of course, we know not all will be saved, but God wants all to be saved. God is working in a million ways in every life to lead people to salvation. If we are lost, whose fault will it be? It'll be our own fault. God is at work in your life, and you probably have sensed that, to lead you to full surrender, to lead you to salvation. If we're lost, we're not going to be able to blame God for that. We can be forgiven. Jesus promises that. 1 John 1 verse 9. Let's read it together tonight. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Any sin that you're willing to confess, God is willing to forgive. You say, well, if that's true, how could there be an unpardonable sin then? Evidently, the unpardonable sin is a sin that's not confessed and not repented of, because if we confess, we can be forgiven. The unpardonable sin is not a type of sin, but rather a degree of sin, a continual resisting of God's working in my life until I become impervious to His Spirit's call. In fact, you're still in Matthew, aren't you? Let's notice again Matthew 12, verse 31. Matthew 12, 31, Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you all manner, that means every type of sin, 
and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So the unpardonable sin is not a type of sin. All manner of sin may be forgiven. But rather a degree of sin, a continual resisting of God's leading, God's working in my life. We'll see this as we study tonight. Let's mark down two facts about this unpardonable sin. First of all, fact number one, it is a sin. What is sin? We found out sin is the trans... Let's read it here. 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is what? Sin is the transgression of the law. So evidently this unpardonable sin has something to do with breaking God's law, because sin is breaking God's law. The second fact about the unpardonable sin... It is an offense against the Holy Spirit. This sin, this blasphemy, this offense is against the Holy Spirit. To understand what this sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, we need to understand the function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit works in each of our lives in at least four general ways. Four ways that He works in all of our lives. And I want to mark these four ways with you this evening. And these are not in any particular order because the Holy Spirit might work in different, way, different orders in different lives. But one of the ways, one of the things the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives we find in John 14, verse 26. John 14, and we're going to read verse 26. If you're taking notes, you can mark that this evening. John 14, verse 26. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which whom the Father sh will send in my name, he shall, shall what? Teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So what is he going to do? He's going to teach us. What will he teach us? Truth or tradition? He will teach us the truth. He's going to teach us all things relating to the truth. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. He teaches us. Another thing that He does in all of our lives, we're just listing these as one, two, three, four, just for the sake of listing them, may not be in this order. But another thing the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives, we find in John 16, verse 13. That's just across the page, probably. John 16, verse 13 says... Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will what? He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. What will He do? He will guide us. Guide us to what? Guide us to truth. How much truth? He'll guide us to all truth. Well, that brings us to the question, what is truth? There are three Bible definitions of truth. And let's just review these. First of all, Jesus is the truth. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the Holy Spirit guides us to truth. He guides us to Jesus. He guides us to surrender our lives to Jesus. He guides us to, to confess our sins to Jesus, to choose Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to do what is pleasing to Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus. He guides us to truth. There's a second definition of truth, and that is the Word, the Bible. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is the truth. So the Holy Spirit guides us to all truth. He guides us to what then? To the Word of God, the Bible. I have met people say, oh, we don't need the Bible. We have the Spirit. The letter kills. The Spirit makes alive. 
I'll say, now wait a minute. Who inspired the Bible writers? The Holy Spirit did. By the way, if you want some text to prove that, 2 Peter 1.21, 2 Timothy 3.16. The Holy Spirit inspired those Bible writers. So if the Holy Spirit is guiding me, is he going to guide me to the Bible or is he going to guide me away from the Bible? He will guide me to the Bible. Any spirit that tells you, oh, you don't need the Bible, follow me. Don't follow that spirit. We're supposed to test every spirit by the Bible. The Holy Spirit guides us to all truth. God's word is the truth. So he guides us to the Bible. There's a third definition of truth. And that is God's law. Psalms 119, verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. The Holy Spirit guides us to all truth, so he guides us to the law, the Ten Commandments, to choose to keep the Ten Commandments. Why? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So why do we keep them? To earn salvation? No. Why? Because we love Jesus. So the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Truth is Jesus, John 14, 6. Truth is the Word, John 17, 17. Truth is the law, Psalms 119, 142. The Holy Spirit guides us to those three things. Because he guides us into how much? All truth. There's a third thing the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. That's from John 16, verses 7 and 8. Just back a few verses. John 16, verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will what? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. That word reprove in the margin, it says, or convince. Or in other words, convict. The Holy Spirit then convicts us of sin. Let me ask you, have you ever been about to do something you knew was wrong, and you heard a little voice somewhere in your mind say, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Who was that voice? That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes you feel guilty. Praise God. If we didn't feel guilty, we wouldn't repent. He convicts us of sin. He also convicts us of righteousness. Have you ever heard that little voice say, you should do this? He convicts us of right doing. He convicts us of sin. By the way, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. So the Holy Spirit convicts us where we are breaking God's law. Maybe we've been taking God's name in vain. I had a man tell me, Pastor, he says, I've been convicted. I've, I have a foul mouth. And I've been praying that God give me victory over all this profanity that comes out of my mouth. He'd been worked upon by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe we've been breaking that fourth commandment, the Sabbath. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us. You should keep all ten commandments because you love Jesus. Sabbath is one of them. Or maybe we've been living in some adulterous relationship. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. That's the seventh commandment. You shouldn't be doing this. Or maybe the Holy Spirit convicts us we ought not to be stealing. Maybe even that tithe belongs to God. Or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin. Sin, of course, is breaking God's law, those Ten Commandments. There is a fourth thing the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. Number four, he unites us together. Let's read that from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. He unites us together in one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Did I say 10, 13? Yes. <laughs> well, we have the screen to help us when the preacher is 
goofy. <laughs> when he's in error, follow the screen. <laughs> We're reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. I guess 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that's a good text too, but that's not the one we want to read here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. By the way, the body is what? Body is the church, Colossians 1, 18. We are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So the Holy Spirit then unites us together in one body. How does he do that? Through the step of baptism, or for many people, the step of rebaptism. The Bible says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So the Bible way to join a body, a church body, is through the step of baptism, or for many, the step of rebaptism, to come into that one body. The Holy Spirit unites us together. There you have the four works the Holy Spirit does in all of our lives. He teaches us, He guides us, He convicts us, and He unites us together. As long as we allow the Holy Spirit to do those four things in our lives, we don't have to ever fear committing the unpardonable sin. But if the Holy Spirit teaches us truth, we don't want to hear it. Or if He guides us to truth and we resist His guiding... Or if he convicts us of sin and we don't want to change. Or if he unites us together with that one body and we refuse to take that step. Then we've begun the process. Note that word process, because it is. It's a process. We have begun the process of committing the unpardonable sin. We've begun the process of grieving away the Holy Spirit. There are at least two things that we can do against the Holy Spirit, and one of them is to grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's read that from Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 30. That's not too far from where you are in Corinthians. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. One of the things that we can do against the Holy Spirit is to grieve Him. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. And you notice that it's the Spirit that seals us unto the day of redemption. What is the seal of God? We studied that already in our seminar. We found out that God's seal, every law has to have a seal. God's seal is the Sabbath. It has the three elements of the seal. It has the name of the lawgiver, Lord thy God, the title, Creator, the territory, heaven and earth. So we discovered that the Sabbath is God's seal. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he identifies what day that is, the Sabbath. He says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. That is God's seal. We studied that already. And where does God want to put that seal? In our foreheads. In other words, he wants us to make a decision to keep the Sabbath. That's the new covenant when God writes his law upon our minds. Mark this. A spirit-filled Christian that is keeping the seventh-day Sabbath truly has the seal of God. It's possible to go to church every Saturday and still be lost if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're a spirit-filled Christian and you're keeping the Sabbath, then you have truly the seal of God. The seal of God, that's the Sabbath. God wants us to accept that, but we can refuse that, that seal, that Sabbath. And when we do, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a second thing that we can do against the Holy Spirit, and that is to resist His leading in our lives. Let's read about this from Acts 7, verse 51. Acts 7, 
verse 51. And when you get to Acts 7, put a marker here, because we will return to Acts 7 later today, tonight. Acts 7, verse 51, Stephen here is speaking to the Jewish leadership. And notice his words. You might think that this is pretty bold speaking, preaching. He says in Acts 7, 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. How's that for bold preaching? <laughs> you know, you thought I stopped, stepped on toes. Stephen, he's stomping on their toes. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. Ooh, talk about bold speaking. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You do always what? Resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. What were they doing? Resisting the Holy Spirit. We can grieve Him. We can resist His working in our lives. But that brings us to another question tonight. Why is the sin against the Holy Spirit unpardonable? Well, let me explain. The Holy Spirit is God teaching us. It is God guiding us. It is God convicting us. It is God uniting us together. And when we say no to the Holy Spirit, we're saying no to God. And God honors our free will. God's not going to drag anybody into heaven, kicking and spitting and screaming all the way, saying, oh, I don't want to come. I don't want to go to this place. If we go there, we're going to go freely. We're going to choose to. By the way, we're going to go on God's terms. Not up for us to decide the terms by which we go to heaven. God has given us those terms in this holy book. But if we say no to God or not now to God, God says, all right, I accept that choice. God backs off. Now, God in His mercy almost always calls to our heart, again, on the same point, but this time usually a little bit softer. And if we say no or not now to God, God says, all right, I accept your choice. Backs off a little farther. Little by little, we push God out of our lives when we say no or not now to God. It's as if you cut the connection to heaven. Did you ever disconnect your telephone? Didn't want anybody to call you or bother you? You folks who have cell phones, you ever turn off your cell phone so nobody bothers you? Or maybe your, the battery went dead. Nobody could reach you. You found out later somebody was trying to call you, but your battery was dead. You, no one can reach you when you've got the cell phone shut. Not that they're not calling you, but you've cut the connection. That's what happens when a person has committed the unpardonable sin. It's not that God is not calling to them, but they've cut the connection. It's sort of like the alarm clock with the snooze button. If you hit that snooze button too often, what's going to happen? You're going to sleep right through the alarm. It's not the alarm is not ringing, but you've gotten so accustomed to just ignoring it. Push the snooze button. Keep Pretty soon you don't even hear the thing. Sleep right through it. That's what happens when a person commits the unpardonable sin. God is calling, yes, but they've gotten so used to ignoring the voice, saying no or not now, they don't hear it. Let me illustrate this way. Let's imagine I were to build a wall right down through the middle of this chapel, this church here. And I'm over here on this side building this wall, and you're over here on this side telling me I ought not to be building a wall through the middle of this church, but I'm not listening to you. Day by day, I come in, I'm putting bricks in this big wall, right down to the middle of the church. And every day, you know, as the days pass, the weeks pass, the wall's growing higher. And pretty soon, I can't see you. There's a wall between us. I hear you over there when I stop to listen. And pretty soon, I'm, I'm up here near the ceiling, and I can hardly, you're yelling at me. I, still, I can hardly hear you because there's a great big wall between us. And then comes the day when I'm putting in that last row of bricks. And finally, I put in that last brick. And I sit down over here and I think, oh, it's so peaceful. 
I no longer hear that nagging voice. That's what happens when a person commits the unpardonable sin. They have built up a wall of resistance between they and God. They cannot hear God's voice. Now, don't miss this. The safest way to avoid the unpardonable sin is not by failing to stick in the last brick. The safest way is not to put in the first brick. If you never say no or not now to God in any area of your life, you never need to fear the unpardonable sin. But if there's some aspect of your life, some issue in your life where you're saying no to God or not now to God, you know what you're doing? You're building a wall. And you don't know when that wall will become so high you cannot hear God's voice. And when you can no longer hear God's call to your heart, that's when you have committed the sin that God can't forgive. Not that God is not reaching out to you, not that He's not calling you, but you build up such a wall of resistance, there's no way you can respond. It's not God's fault. It's whose fault? It's our fault. There are three ways that people commit the unpardonable sin. If you're taking notes, you can mark these. Three groups of people, three ways. One way are those who are covering their sins. Number one, those that are covering their sins. We read about this from Proverbs 28, verse 13. If you're taking notes, mark this text. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So one of the ways that we commit the unpardonable sin is by covering our sins. There are two classes of people that are doing this. One class are the skeptics, the atheists. They say, I don't need God, I don't believe in God. Well, that's one group that are committing the unpardonable sin. Now, I'm glad to tell you there's not a lot of people in that group. There's so much evidence today from archaeology and from creation science and from astronomy and so forth. There's not a lot of there's Yes, there are some atheists, but there's not a lot of atheists. There are many more people in another group that are committing this sin, and that are the folks who know better. They know right from wrong, but they don't plan to do right, and they don't plan to change from wrong. And I've met people like this. You probably have too. They say, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I don't care. I'm not going to change. Or they say, I know I ought to do that. I know that's right, but I'm not going to. What are they doing? They are covering their sins. And I would appeal to you, friend, tonight, if there's some aspect in your life where you know God is calling you to break off some sin or some bad habit or something, and you're saying, not planning to, don't cover your sins. That's one way that people commit the unpardonable sin, by covering their sins. There's a second way that people commit this sin, Number two, that's the procrastinators. Procrastination. What's procrastination mean? Putting off until later what I ought to do now. Don't miss this. Procrastinators do not say no to God. They simply say not now to God. But it really is the same thing. When we say not now to God, we're simply saying no. I'm not going to do it now. And procrastinators, typically, they have good intentions. They, don't, they, they plan to do right someday. They plan to follow God someday, just not now. After I retire, or after I get all the kids out of school, or after I have all my bills paid, or after I get a little bit more financial security, or after all my questions are answered, all my objections are, are answered. You watch, you wait, someday I'm going to do it, but not now, maybe tomorrow. I remember I was driving down the highway one time and I saw this big billboard. Had a picture of a, had a man with a great big tummy, 
had a fork in one hand, a spoon in the other. It was an advertisement for a restaurant. And it said in large letters, today the great buffet, tomorrow the diet. I thought, oh yeah, tomorrow is always tomorrow. I had people say, well, let's wait and do it tomorrow. I thought, yeah, I've heard that before. Tomorrow is always tomorrow. The fact is, tomorrow it may be too late. We don't know whether we're going to be alive tomorrow, whether we're going to have tomorrow to make the decision that we know God is calling us to make today. And if we're putting off the decision until tomorrow, how do we know that we're going to have that opportunity? Think about this. You suppose there were some procrastinators working in those floors of the World Trade Centers when the airplanes came crashing through? Been putting off a decision on some issue in their life, you suppose? Probably were. And did they have the opportunity when they heard the planes coming to kneel down and say, All right, Lord, I recognize I've come to the end of my life. I need to get things right with you. Did they have that chance? They were gone in an instant. When those planes, they heard a roar and they were vaporized. Never had an opportunity to consider whether they were ready to die. They never had the tomorrow that they'd been waiting for. Somebody sent, this, sent me this photograph. This is a photograph of the tsunami in Asia some years ago. You can see the enormous wave rolling in in the background and walking the beach are these people ob oblivious to the fact that death is approaching at the speed of an airplane. Then here's another picture, a little closer. You can see the enormous wave rolling in. Those people walking the beach and hundreds of thousands of others, they heard the roar. They looked up, they saw the wave rushing at them. They had time to turn and start to run. They were swept away. Never had a chance to kneel down and say, all right, Lord, I've been procrastinating on this issue in my life. I need to surrender. They didn't have that chance. If we're putting off a decision until later that we know we need to make now, we may not have the opportunity later. The Bible gives us some examples of people that procrastinated. Let's look at one of them. Acts 26, verse 28. Acts 26, verse 28. This is King Agrippa. You may have heard of him. Acts 26, verse 28 says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, Paul. You almost convinced me, but not quite. To be almost saved means what? means to be lost. You can't be almost saved. That's like being almost pregnant. <laughs> you know, you either are or you're not. It's the same with salvation. To be almost saved means to be wholly lost. There will be millions of people in hell who were almost saved. What did Jesus say? He that is not with me is against me. If you're almost surrendered to Jesus, is that good enough? Not at all. We must be wholly surrendered to him. And if we're not, he says we're against him. You may have heard of the young man that came to Jesus one day. And Jesus said to that young man, one thing thou lackest. How many things? One thing. I think if the Lord came to me and said, Lowell, you lack many things. I'm sure he would say that to me. But this young man, he lacked one thing. That's all. He was almost a full follower of Christ. But was he willing to give up that one thing? No. Is there one thing in your life that you're unwilling to surrender to Jesus? That one thing could cost you your eternal destiny. That young man walked away from Jesus, unsurrendered, uncommitted. That one thing cost him his soul. To be almost saved is not good enough. There will be millions of people in hell who are almost saved... 
There's another example of a procrastinator in Acts. Let's read Acts 24, verse 25. Let's just back a page or so. Acts 24, verse 25. This is another civic leader, Governor Felix. Acts 24, verse 25 says, And as he, this is Paul, as Paul reasoned of righteousness, that's doing right, keeping the commandments, temperance, that's taking care of our body, judgment to come. Of course, the message today is the judgment has begun. But as Paul reasoned of these things, the Bible says Felix trembled. He was so deeply stirred by the Holy Spirit, he began trembling under conviction. I have seen people trembling under conviction. That is a solemn experience. When you see people so deeply stirred by the Spirit, they begin shaking under conviction. But did this man make a decision? Well, he made a decision, but it was the wrong decision. You read on, it says... He trumbled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I don't want to hear any more from you, Paul. I know what you're telling me is the truth. And I'm going to do it. When? When it's convenient. If you miss everything I tell you tonight, don't miss this one point. It will never be convenient to obey God. If you wait till it's convenient to obey God, you'll never obey God. The devil's going to make sure that it's not convenient to obey God. If you wait till it's convenient to get baptized, you'll never do it. If you wait till it's convenient to give up smoking or some other bad habit, you'll never make the change. If you wait till it's convenient to keep the Sabbath, you'll never keep it because the devil's going to make sure that it's not convenient for you to keep the Sabbath. It'll never be convenient to obey God. It may cost you something to follow Christ. Jesus said the way to life is the narrow way, and few find it. Psalms 95, verses 7 and 8 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, not tomorrow, not next month, but today, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. What are you doing, friend? Are you heeding his voice, or are you hardening your heart? Every time we say no to God or not now to God, you know what we're doing? We're hardening our heart, and you can make your heart so callous. I've, I, I can still have some calluses on my hands from when I used to work in construction. I still do that when I'm not preaching. You can callous your conscience. Your conscience can, be, can become so hard, so cold, so dead that it's not responsive, it's not able to respond to the Holy Spirit. And when your conscience gets that hard... You're very close to the unpardonable sin. There are millions of people today that are procrastinating. That will be probably one of the largest groups of people that commit the unpardonable sin. Procrastination. Putting off until later what they know they need to do now. Procrast don't miss this. Procrastinators don't say no to God. They simply say, not now. There's a third group of people that are committing the unpardonable sin. This is by far the largest group, and that is church members. You say, church members? How could church members commit the unpardonable sin? Actually, very easily. You see, when people come into the church, they join a church through baptism. That's the Bible way to join a church. And when they join a church, then they settle down. They say, oh, I'm in the church now. I'm saved now. And they forget that truth advances. The Holy Spirit's going to guide us into how much truth? Into all truth. Now, thank God he doesn't guide us to all the truth all at once. The Holy Spirit does not operate on the dump truck method. Now, I know sometimes we operate on that method. 
Somebody asks you, what are you learning now at that seminar? And what do we do? We unload on them. Three weeks of truth, four weeks of truth. We dump on them and we wonder why they reject it. I tell people, if, you, if your friend or your family asks you what you're learning at the seminar, give them a short answer and change the topic. They'll come back later and ask you another question. Give them a short answer, change the topic. If you dump truck on your family, your friends, they're probably going to reject it. The Holy Spirit guides us step by step into all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit leads us to take a step, maybe the step of accepting Jesus as our Savior. And if we take that step, maybe we'll come to the next step of surrendering our life to Him and confessing our sins. And if we take that next step, we're going to discover that there will be another step to take. And if we take that next step, what will we find? Another one. And if we take that one then, there'll be another one. And see what happens as the Holy Spirit's leading people step by step into all truth, people come to a step that they don't like. And they say, oh no, Lord, I can't take that step. That's too hard. Maybe they come to that step of the Sabbath. People say, I can't, I can't take that step, Lord. Why, if I started keeping the Sabbath, what would my family think? They'd think I'd join some cult or something. And what about my job? I've got to work sometimes on the Sabbath. God's going to have to understand I can't afford to lose my job. I can't take that step. Some people, they'll take that Sabbath step and they'll come to another step. Maybe this is the health step. People say, oh, no, Lord, I can't give up my camel and my crab and my caffeine. I can't take that step. Some people, they'll take that health step, taking care of their body. And maybe they'll come to another step, maybe the step of the ornaments. Remember we talked about the ornaments the other day? People say, oh, no, Lord, I could never take that step. That's too much. You're asking too much of me. Some people, they'll take that step. They'll come maybe the step of baptism or rebaptism. They say, no, Lord, I can't take that step. It's too hard. Other people, they'll come maybe to the step of the tithe. 10% to God. People say, oh, no, I can't take that step, Lord. I don't have enough money now to pay all the bills. No way I can take that step. You see, step by step, God leads us into how much truth? All truth. And at every advanced step, what happens? People turn back. I see it all the time, the seminars we conduct. Remember we started out in the hall, we had to put up extra chairs. So many people there. And then we presented something that people didn't want to hear. The Sabbath. You remember that? And people disappeared. We looked around. Where is everybody? They didn't like what they heard. Every time we present some other truth, people say, oh, I don't want to hear any more of that. It's like Felix, I don't want to hear you anymore, Paul. You may remember Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was facing an enemy, a huge enemy army. He called together as the Israelites. He got 32,000 to come help him. God says, I want to test the sincerity of your audience. You tell them, Gideon, anybody that's afraid, go home. 22,000 people left. I've never had a drop off that bad. And then God says, Gideon, bring them down to the water. You can see baptism symbolized there. Bring them down to the water. I'm going to test them some more. Only 300 people survived that test. Gideon ended up with less than 1% of his opening crowd. You talk about drop-off. You know what I say? I say, Lord, help me to take every step you lead me to. I don't want to turn back on any step. I want to be one of those Gideons, Gideons banded in time, faithful to whatever God guides me to. Amen? The Holy Spirit's going to guide us to how much truth? All truth. And then it rests with us to accept it or refuse it. Imagine if you were following a guide 
down a trail at night, and the guide has the flashlight. And he says, I'm not stopping, so you better not stop. If you stop, what's going to happen? You'll be left in darkness. Jesus said in John 12, 35, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he goeth. If the Holy Spirit guides you to some step and you refuse to take that step, eventually you're going to be left in, in darkness. What step are you hesitating over tonight, friend? That step where you're saying no or not now to God, that's the step where you're building a wall. If a tomato plant stops growing, what happens to it, you gardeners? It starts dying. Where we stop following God's leading in our lives, that's where we begin to die spiritually. Don't turn back. If God's guiding you forward, don't turn back. Accept every truth that God guides you to. I want to clarify, God is not going to condemn us for things we don't know about. The Bible tells us in Acts 17, verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. When we didn't know, God didn't count it. But it says, Now, but now, now that we know, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The question we have to ask ourselves is, What am I doing with the truth that God has revealed to me? I had a lady tell me one time, Pastor, I wished I'd never come to your seminar. I learned all these truths. Now I have to obey. I thought, well, that's not a very good attitude. If the Holy Spirit is not guiding me, I'm lost anyway. If the Holy Spirit is guiding me, he's going to guide me to how much truth? All truth. And then it's up to me to accept it or reject it. The greatest favor of God is to show us the truth. And the greatest insult we can show back to God is to refuse to accept it when he shows it to us. What are you hesitating over, friend? Jesus never said it would be easy. How did church members commit this unpardonable sin? There's two ways that church members commit this sin. Both of them will you find in Acts 7. You're still in Acts. Go back to Acts 7. You maybe have a marker there. Acts 7, verse 51. Here's one of the ways that people today commit the unpardonable sin. Church members today commit this sin. Peter, or Stephen here says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost... As your fathers did, so do ye. That's one of the main ways that people today commit the unpardonable sin. As your fathers did, so do ye. And this is what a lot of people say today. They say, well, mom and dad belong to this church. Grandpa and grandma belong to this church. I grew up in this church. So if it was good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me. That's what the Jews said. They said, we were born Jews. We're going to die Jews. We're not going to join this new cult that Jesus is starting. And there are a lot of people with that same attitude today. Now, don't misunderstand me. Our parents were saved by following God's leading in their lives. We are saved by following God's leading in our lives. Has God revealed things to us our parents didn't know about? Oh, yes. We learned about the judgment. Our parents didn't know that, many of them. We've discovered about the Sabbath in our seminar. Saturday is the true Sabbath, according to the Bible. Many of our parents never knew that. Kept Sunday all their lives. Went to their grave-keeping Sunday. God accepts their sincerity. We found out the Sabbath is the memorial of creation, the seal of God. We looked at that. We saw that. We found out about the beast, what the mark of the beast is. Many of our parents didn't know those issues. God accepts them. They were sincere. But he has revealed truth to us. He wants us to walk in it. But there are multitudes today that say, well, if it was good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me. I'm not going to change churches or believe differently from my parents.
The Bible tells us in Daniel 12, verse 4, in the time of the end, knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge concerning Bible truths. Shall we accept the increase of knowledge? Or should we reject it? People say, well, if it's good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me. Have you ever thought about applying that in some other areas of life? Mom and dad had an outhouse. How many of you remember the outhouse? Let me see. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of you remember. I remember when my parents burned the outhouse, and I'm not that old. <laughs> well, if it was good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me, right? So when I build my new home, I'm putting an outhouse in the back because mom and dad had an outhouse. Mom and dad had a typewriter, so forget about this new computer stuff. I'm sticking with my old typewriter. We don't think of going way beyond our parents when it comes to the conveniences and the comforts of life. But when it comes to religion, we say, well, if it was good enough for mom and dad, it's good enough for me. Oh, no, friend. God is calling us higher. The Bible tells us in Revelation 18, 4, come out of her, Babylon, my people. Many of our parents, they lived all their lives in Babylon, those apostate churches that are breaking God's law every week. But God is calling us to come out of Babylon. And if we refuse to heed God's call... We're doing just like the Jews. Stephen said, as your fathers did, so do ye. There's another way that Christians today commit the unpardonable sin, and that's from verse 53. You're in Acts 7. Verse 53 is the second way that many Christians commit the unpardonable sin. Stephen says here, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. That is the second way that Christians today commit the unpardonable sin. They won't Keep God's law. Which commandment? Virtually every Christian thinks you ought to keep nine commandments, but there are ten. And the fourth commandment, the one where God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And I'm amazed as I travel around the world presenting these lectures, how many people already know that? And they've already decided I'm not going to do it. I've presented this topic one time, and I remember there was a lady coming to the seminar she was excited. She had never heard about the Bible Sabbath being on Saturday. So she went to a Christian friend of hers who owned a Christian bookstore. And she said, you know what I found out? I've been going to that seminar down there. And I learned that the Sabbath is, this, is Saturday. You know what her friend said? Oh, I know that. I know that. But I don't think God cares what day you keep. What if he does care? Would you want to run the risk of losing your soul on the premise that maybe God doesn't really care what day we keep? What if he does care? What if he does care enough to write it in stone? I wouldn't want to run a risk like that and say, well, God, maybe God doesn't care what day we keep. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have written it in stone. People, other people, they give excuses for not keeping the Sabbath. I remember a young man came to me after I presented the topic of the Sabbath, and he was giving me all these Bible reasons why you don't have to keep it. And I was answering each one. And finally, he got mad at me. I says, I don't care what you say. I'm still not going to keep the Sabbath. I said, you'll keep it in heaven. Isaiah 66 says we're going to keep it in the new heavens and the new earth. I said, you plan to be in heaven, don't you? He said, oh, yes, but I'll not keep the Sabbath there. <laughs> That's not funny. That's rebellion. That's what the devil told God in heaven. I'm going to stay here, but I won't obey you. That's rebellion. I want you to know what the Bible has to say about those individuals. Come with me to Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 29. Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 29. There's some pretty serious words here that Paul wrote to the Hebrews. 
Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 29. He says in verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth. See, before we knew, God didn't count it. But when we learn, if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And by the way, the context here is when we continue to sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice for the sin, then can it be forgiven? No. So what is it then? It is unpardonable. Here's the unpardonable sin. If we sin willfully after, as, if we, as the context is, if we continue to sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. That's hellfire. If we continue to sin willfully, the Bible tells us the only thing we can look forward to is hellfire. There are some people who would rather miss heaven than give up their sin. How tragic. Reading on says in verse 28, 28 and 29, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorrow or punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? Can you imagine trampling on Jesus, stomping on him? Can you imagine that? When we choose willfully to continue in sin, that's what we're doing. We're trampling on Jesus. Of how much sore punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? This is serious. Let me ask you, what caused Christ's death on the cross? Sin. So if I continue in sin, what am I doing? Crucifying him afresh, trampling on him, as it were. That's an offense to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot, will not remain in the life of someone who is willfully continuing to break God's law. Mark that. The Holy Spirit cannot, will not continue to remain in someone's life that is continually choosing to break God's law. Well, let's come back to our question. What really is the unpardonable sin? Have you guessed it yet? The unpardonable sin is any sin that we continue to practice until we can no longer hear the voice of God to our hearts on that point. Every time we say no to God or not now to God, the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit grows quieter and quieter and quieter until eventually we cannot hear the Holy Spirit. When we come to that place... Then we have committed a sin which cannot be forgiven. I'm happy to tell you, I don't believe anybody here has committed the unpardonable sin. You know why? You wouldn't be here if you had. The fact that you're here seeking to know God's will indicates that the Holy Spirit is still working in your life. When you feel the conviction of sin, when you do wrong and you feel this is wrong, you know the Holy Spirit hasn't left you yet. But the question we have to ask ourselves tonight is, what am I doing with the truth that God has revealed to me? Am I building a wall of resistance? Or am I following the truth that God has shown me? God is going to hold us responsible for every truth that he reveals to us. People say, but pastor, you don't know how hard it is. What about my family? What about my job? What about my church? We can have lots of fears. But Jesus never promised it would be easy, did he? 
In fact, come with me to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verses 34 to 38. And notice what it may cost you if you want to follow Jesus. Matthew 10, 34 to 38. You may be familiar with these words. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What's a sword? The sword is the word, Ephesians 6, 17, Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God. When the word of God, the truths of God enter our life, sometimes it cuts, sometimes it hurts. And that's why Jesus says, I came not to send peace, but a sword, the sword of the word. Verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be who? They of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. It's going to cost you to follow Jesus. Jesus said a man's foes may be those of his own household. Are you experiencing that? Some people do. I remember I had a lady coming to one of my seminars. She made a decision to be of Seventh-day Adventists. Keep the Sabbath to be baptized. Her husband said, if you join that church, get out of my house. You will no longer be my wife. I've seen it happen. I've seen wives turn against their husbands. I remember one man was coming to our lectures. His wife, she wasn't coming. She did everything she could to keep him away. In fact, one night she threw a whole pot of food on him. Tried to discourage him while he cleaned himself off the best he could and came anyway. At the end of that seminar, that man was baptized. He became a Seventh-day Adventist. He took a lower-paying job so that he could keep the Sabbath. One year later, I went back to visit that particular church where I'd held those meetings. And this brother was there, and he had a lady with him. He said, Pastor, I want you to meet my wife. I said, this is your wife? He said, oh, yeah, remember how she opposed me? He said, just a few weeks ago, she was baptized. Became a Seventh-day Adventist. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes our family, they follow. They might resist. They might fight us at first, but they follow. Many of them. Not always. Sometimes our family will never understand our faith in Jesus. Reminds me of the story of... Joe Cruz told me this story. He was the founder of Amazing Facts. He said years ago he was working as a missionary in Pakistan. And he said one day, in fact it was Christmas Day, he was... In, the, in his home, and he's heard this knocking at the door. And when he went to the door, the door, he opened the door, and this Muslim man pushed right past him, right into his house. He says, baptize me. I want to be baptized. And Joe, he calmed the man down, found out the man's name was Sadak. Sadak had come from the Khyber Pass area of Pakistan, up near the border of Afghanistan. And in this particular area, there is very little government control. Every man that had a gun or a knife would sort of take the law into his own hands. But in spite of the dangers, a Christian missionary had gone up into that area, set up a tent, and had held a prophecy seminar, much like the ones you've been attending. And every night as Sadiq would go home from his government job, he would pass by the Christian tent. And he would stop outside in the shadows of the trees to listen to the preaching of the Word of God. He didn't dare go inside because if somebody had seen him go in as a Muslim, he, would, he could lose his life as an apostate from Islam. And so he stood outside in the shadows of the trees and night by night he listened to the preaching of the word of God and the Holy Spirit began stirring upon his heart. He was convicted that what he was hearing was the truth. And one night the preacher inside made an appeal for people to give their lives to Jesus. And Sadiq, he was outside. He couldn't fill out a card. He couldn't go forward. He couldn't respond. But there in the shadows of the trees with tears streaming down his face for the first time he prayed to the Christian God 
he had asked Jesus to be his Savior. He went home that night. He told his wife, he said, Honey, I've been listening to the preaching down at the Christian tent. I've been convicted it's the truth, and I've decided to become a Christian. His wife said, You can't do that. What will our family say? They'll kill you, Sadiq. He said, I must follow the truth. The next day when Sadiq came home from work, his home was empty. His wife had taken the two children, children, taken the household possession. She had gone back to her parents. She left word, don't follow me. I'm no longer your wife. He never saw his wife and children again. The next day when he arrived at work, he was informed he no longer had a job with the government. He was an apostate from Islam now. His relatives had intervened against him. He lost his job with the government. And then a few days later when he, he was outside, his own relatives, they caught him outside. They beat him almost to death. In fact, they thought they'd killed him. They left him for dead, unconscious, in the ditch by the road. And when Sadak regained his consciousness, he fled from the area. And somehow God in his providence had guided Sadak to the doorstep of my friend Joe Cruz, founder of Amazing Facts. And now here is Sadiq begging to be baptized. Joe told me, he said, I filled the baptistry that day. He said, I baptized Sadiq. He says, I'll never forget as long as I live when I lifted that man out of the water, the scars on his body. He'll carry those scars always. All of his life he'll have to flee from his relatives. If they ever find him, they will consider it their religious duty to kill him. Two weeks after his baptism, Sadiq came to Joe. He said, Joe... He says, I want you to go to the mission board here and ask the mission board to send me as a missionary up into Afghanistan. And Joe said, you can't go to Afghanistan. They don't allow Christians there. You wouldn't live 24 hours. They'd kill you. Sadiq said, that's all right. I'll go as a trader, as a peddler. I'll sell cloth. And as I go along, I'll give out copies of the Bible to people that are interested. Here was a man that had lost everything for Jesus. He'd lost his wife, lost his children, lost his home, lost his job, almost lost his life. And now he's saying, let me go as a missionary for Jesus. What are you giving up for Jesus? There are some people that won't give up a few trifles for Jesus. I can't give up this way of eating or this way of dressing or this thing or that thing. What do we think? If it doesn't cost anything, it's not worth anything. It may cost you to follow Jesus. Jesus said a man's foes may be those of his own household. Will it be worth it to follow Christ, even if it costs something? How much did Jesus give for you? He gave everything for you. Are you willing to give anything for him? Are you willing to surrender anything to him? You might recognize tonight in your heart that there's a real battle. And I know some of you are facing a real battle. You've, I've talked to you. And I recognize that there is a conflict in your heart. And you have these forces that are pulling you backward. God is pulling you forward, leading you to accept the truth. And you feel all this turmoil. And people say, well, Pastor, I'm going to wait until all this turmoil is over. All this conflict in my heart is, is over. And then I'm going to make my decision. The reason why you have turmoil in your heart is because the Holy Spirit is drawing you. And the devil's trying to hold you. That's why you feel the conflict. And a lot of people think, well, I'm going to wait if you wait until the Holy Spirit's no longer drawing you, then you might not have the desire to respond. The easiest time to make the decision is when you feel all this turmoil, all this conflict, because that's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you. If you're experiencing conflict in your heart tonight, there are two ways to have peace. Only two ways. One way is to surrender all to Jesus. All to Jesus, I surrender. 
All to him I freely give. Are you willing to surrender all to Jesus? You will experience when you surrender all to Jesus a peace that money can't buy. You can't explain it. You have peace in your... You might have conflict all around you. Your family might be opposed. You might have difficulty. But you can kneel down and pray in confidence because you know you are surrendered fully to Jesus. That is a blessed peace. That's one way to have peace. There's another way. And that is to commit the unpardonable sin. When a person commits the unpardonable sin, they can sin without feeling guilty. You know, sit down at the other side of the wall, remember? Don't feel that nagging voice. Don't hear it anymore. They have peace. But it's a deadly peace. And I hope that no one here ever comes to that kind of peace. The Bible tells us in Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Leave him alone. Whenever God says that on any person... Eternal night settles upon that soul because they have essentially committed the unpardonable sin. It's not that God is no longer calling, but because they have pushed God so far out of their lives, God says, if I call them a million more times with a million greater amplification, they still would not respond. So I'm not going to nag them anymore. I'm not going to bother them anymore. I'm going to leave them alone. Leave them with their choice. I would not want to experience that, would you? If you are experiencing turmoil in your heart, God is calling you to make a decision. There will come a point when it will be too late. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke 13, 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Why not? Why can't they enter in? It's too late. In Noah's day, when the rain began to fall, how many people wanted to go in the ark? Everybody, when the door stood open, nobody wanted to go in. When the door closed and the rain began to fall, it was too late. People wanted in, but it was too late. And there will be millions of people at end time when the judgments of God are falling upon the world. And they realize they've come to the end. Then they're going to seek to enter into the experience that they've neglected all these years. But it'll be too late. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? You may remember the story of Jacob. Jacob one night was praying for assurance, for God's forgiveness. And the darkness of night as he was praying, a hand was placed on his shoulder. He thought it was an antagonist. And he began wrestling in the darkness with this unseen being. He wrestled all night long, and it was only in the break of day when he began to realize that he was wrestling with a supernatural being, wrestling with the angel of the covenant. And then he surrendered. How about you, friend? Are you wrestling? Are you wrestling with God, wrestling with the Holy Spirit? You know that God is convicting you, leading you to make a decision, but you're wrestling over it. I invite you tonight, like Jacob, to surrender all to Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.